Another week, another edition, episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. Welcome along. Joining myself, Stuart Court, as ever, is Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I'm good. It was a long five months, but I finally had a haircut. The good news is, unlike Samson, I've got no skills to lose with a hair trim. So uh, I'll still be a bad podcaster, but had a pint of Guinness in a pub this week. We're slowly getting back to, to normality, Stuart. It feels, feels pretty good. Yeah, I went to the pub last night. Well, as my mate said, it was nice to have a beer out of a glass instead of a yes. bottle or a can, which is all we've had for the last 14, 15 months. Uh, yeah, so this week we welcome another 710 ESPN Seattle host and writer, one half of Jake and Stacey. Someone we have heard has a natural ability and a knack for investigative work and are told is a fan of a former member of our royal family as well. Welcome to the Pedestrian Podcast, <laughs> uh, Stacey Ross. How are we? I'm well. How are you guys? We're good. I actually was going to try and do like a, a royal quiz for you, but I realised that I didn't even know enough to kind of manifest <laughs> yeah. any, any questions, so I didn't even... I, I feel like I would do okay, but not great. It would have to be very recent things and primarily focused on William and Kate and Harry and Meghan. Okay, so my, I'm not sure I could ace anything on on the Queen on Liz. I, I did think I have a question about Mike Tyndall, who's a professional rugby player who's married to Zara Phillips, who I think is one of the Queen's grandchildren. So that was going to be my like mm-hmm. millionaire, one million dollar question. So I'm kind of disappointed I didn't give give you that one. That's a shame. I would have aced. Uh, well, look, at least you know that if I had done the quiz, you'd have won. I feel great about that. So yeah. We had Paul on a few weeks ago and he talked, he's the first we said when we asked you to come on, the first thing he said was Meghan Markle. How deep does your, not my obsession for a bit much, how, how deep does the interest go on? <laughs> because because I, I think I talked for Adam, what we, all the Oprah Winfrey interview a few weeks ago did not give a hoot what was said not- or what was being yeah i think people cared more in the states that's what i kept hearing is like Mm. it didn't play as much uh and and whereas here it was like number one trend everyone's talking about it like i talked about it within the first five minutes of our show the next day (laughs) uh props to jake for just letting me have a moment that i needed to discuss um yeah i uh i don't you know you know what? I think it started as half of a joke. It was Bob Condotta, who's a Seattle Times reporter. I forget what happened. It was like I started talking about the royal wedding and how excited I was. And then he would constantly just ask me questions about it as a joke. And then pretty soon, if there was anything like Meghan Markle related on Twitter, we'd be like, oh, just got to watch for that. So uh, <laughs> now it's just my brand. Now it's who I am. I am Meghan Markle. She is me. We are the same. <laughs> I think I got three messages about the interview in total afterwards, and all three came from the Seattle region, not one from my parents or sister, like nothing, just just three Seattleites, and that was about it. I haven't even watched it. Of course, like, of course. we're huge fans here in Seattle. You haven't great. watched it? Uh, it's, it is a wonderful, I will say this, I don't need to tell anyone Oprah is a great interviewer. Everyone should know that, but she's like really on her A game in this one. I'll take your word for it. We could, we could, some, some, uh, yeah, we've got 150 <laughs> episodes in and we're still uh, flagging around every week, Adam. Uh, so, how's the offseason been? Obviously, things got a bit dicey at the start of it. It seems like there's still the mm-hmm. embers of a wildfire still burning off in the background. How's it been covering the team from yeah. 
your um, pedestals you do? I mean, more my pedestal, more eventful than I was expecting. Like I, I certainly wasn't entering the off season. When I entered the off season, when we all, I'll just, I'm assuming I'm speaking for most people, entered the off season. The story was going to be: Is Brian Schottenheimer staying here or not? What we were not expecting to be covering was three weeks after that news or however long it was, is Russell Wilson staying here or not? Like that is not a conversation I was expecting to be having. Um, so, I mean, when that news first came out, uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but can you guys, is there too much noise in the background? No, it's perfect. Okay, perfect. We're, I have a, a roommate and we're both working from home right now. So such is life in a, a very work from home world. Okay. Um, anyways, I, uh, I'm not sure how you guys feel particularly about there's so much to digest here, whether you were fine with what Russell Wilson said, whether you agree with him, whether you feel like you shouldn't have said it. I mean, at this point I've, I've not talked it to death because I could still talk about it for hours, Mm -hmm. but, um, but, but there are so many tentacles to this story. I mean, how do you guys feel about it? Um, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to slate Russell Wilson for saying what every Seahawk fan has said for the last five, six, seven years. So mm-hmm. in essence, I didn't have a problem with the the message. I think obviously the way in which someone conveys something like that, he might have been able to be a bit more delicate than like the bull in the china shop approach that I feel he ended up taking. Right. Um, but I the thing that struck me was how defensive a lot of people seem to get and the fact that, that this is just not a story or a media manifestation. Mm-hmm. I mean, his agent asked for a trade request, as far as I can tell, with, with four teams being named. So yeah. people can say, oh, you know, it's a media manifestation, but I don't really buy that. And the fact, until we hear about a contract extension, I'm still of the view that this is probably his last season in Seattle, unless they win a championship. Um but I think, you know, something to, to go back to you with, it's a question that I asked Paul, I think that it must be quite exciting heading into a season knowing that something big is probably coming from the next 12 months. And from a reporting standpoint, that must be quite, you know, exciting thinking like this is, we're going to have a lot to talk about and it's always going to be at worst. The worst thing that could happen from like a new standpoint is win Super Bowl, which is amazing. Right, right. Or, <laughs> or Russell Wilson are gone, which is chaos. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, what I'll say is I have been kind of surprised by how, like you said, like defensive of the topic people have been. I don't know if it's Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. I'm from the area. I feel like I can say it. Uh, We aren't like a traditional sports radio community where we're calling in fire this guy, fire that guy. Like it's a little more low key. And so I wonder if people just, um, it's a story that kind of turns people off. Like we're a little more distrusting as a whole of certain narratives even though this is very much not a narrative this is all really happening um but i have learned to deal with this kind of news over time uh because i grew up here um i was obviously i i think i invested a lot in whether or not the team does well right and so when the team would do poorly i would panic and i'd be like no one's going to read the articles no one's going to listen to the radio no one's going to do this and I think what I found is like, sometimes those stories are the most interesting, like sometime in week, I don't know, eight, nine of last year, um, you felt like you were saying the same narrative about the season. Like the offense was really rolling. How can they bounce back? Russell Wilson has to stop the interceptions. And it was the same thing over and over. 
this is something that is so much more fascinating to me because it's like the psychology of a player, um, the dynamics of uh, power between a head coach and a franchise quarterback and GM, which is what the athletic article explored. That's the stuff that drew me to sports in the first place. That's Mm -hmm. the stuff that we could talk at length about because not only is it a world that's unfamiliar to 99% of people, um, the dynamics of that world are something that intrigue us across all mediums, right? Like, why do we watch Game of Thrones? Because it's all about like duplicity or, or whatever it is they're doing. I mean, it's all about power and these really interesting themes. I, I, I sound like I'm making up a story and like pitching a movie about the Seahawks. But what I mean is that it's rare that I've had conversations like this in Seattle. I mean, the narratives of the two teams have been the Seahawks are good. The Mariners are really working on it. <laughs> they're working on it, but, but they're a ways away. And that's, that's been it. I mean, since I started in 2015, technically 2014, but in person in 2015, they have only missed the playoffs once they've had very little turnover with the pieces that matter. Um, and this is, this is a whole new deal. And I find it all fascinating. And it also really only started because Dan Patrick asked a follow-up question. Like, right. It only came about because Dan Patrick went, no, 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 I'm not having that. I want your answer. Yeah, but, good interview but, skills. Yeah, but it also says a bit about like the mentality of someone like Russell Wilson, because obviously there's people mm-hmm. are coming out the last few weeks kind of saying, look, Russell Wilson needs to take some ownership of how the season ended. And instead mm-hmm. he took this approach. No, it, it kind of leads into his kind of single-mindedness even though he is like a team player, his single-mindedness has kind of crept into yeah. the conversation a bit, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think it, it almost has to, when you become a franchise quarterback, you're going to have a lot of self-importance because you got to have a lot of confidence. And I think, I think that people throw around like, Oh, he's dating a celebrity. He's, he's changing. I think Russell Wilson has always been what, exactly what he is right now I think Russell Wilson has always been someone that wants to win more than anything in the world uh, that is very focused on his own brand and managing that um, as many athletes or celebrities are um, and has 99.9% of the time said exactly the right thing like this is a guy that has focused on all times on his appearance and representing the team the right way Um, sometimes to a fault where he becomes unrelatable to some people robotic. Um, So I don't think this is a change. I think this is someone who isn't 22 anymore, isn't 25 anymore. I think this is someone who's uh, 32 years old. Um, He has spent a decade in the league. He's ready to have uh, to advocate for himself a little bit more. And to be honest, like most fans I find don't love when players speak out If, if it's against like a team in any way allegiance is usually to the team and not a player. And this was an instance of that. And I wonder if Russell Wilson thought he'd have more public opinion on his side, because how many, how many comments do you think he's seen over 10 years where we said that O-line play was trash? Like he's probably seen so many complaints about this. I'm sure he assumed that people would agree. Instead, what people heard is you don't want to be here. And Mm -hmm. in Seattle, that's a testy subject. Yeah, I find the um, brand management a really interesting comment because he's curated an image over 10 years of fairly robotic, a bit corny. And as you said, it's 10 years now. And after two years, it's quite, you know, it was quite nice. And when he's talking about, you know, um, you know, Tavares Jackson doing a great job winning the coin toss right. because he has nothing else like he can't 
go outside of his his prism of what he's thinking. And at a time, that's cool. But I wonder kind of what brand he's actually curated by this stage 10 years down mm-hmm. the line. Because when he retires, if he was to carry on like this, I kind of don't feel like anyone would care to hear from him again. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's never going to be a great interview if he stays like this. Now, and almost yeah. when he's shown personality, like with talking about Sierra braiding his hair and the interview that they did or the, the video in bed when he signed his new deal that comes across <laughs> as <laughs> but it and out of character yeah but it comes across as so out of character because mm-hmm. the baseline is kind of so where it's at that I almost yeah. feel that he's done himself a disservice in the long term because it yeah it's like a robotic malfunction and I wonder actually if he's benefited himself by being so tight-knit and so closed off where he could have just uh, just loosened it a, a, a smidge that's such a great point and i think that you're right that i think that it ended up no i i think that you're right and it, it, the, the fascinating part about it right is this juxtaposition you start out trying to say the right thing at all times so that you can be the perfect quarterback the perfect representative of your team and what you end up doing by being right all the time is alienating people mm-hmm. uh or or being unrelatable it's kind of like the jennifer lawrence thing it's like I, I don't know if this resonates with you guys, but there was a period of time when like everyone could not get enough of Jennifer Lawrence because she would go into interviews and she would talk about like throwing up somewhere or falling over somewhere, or, like uh, be self-deprecating. And to so many people at the time that felt really relatable and new and fresh, but you're told over and over again to never do stuff like mm-hmm. that. And um, I think his brand to your kind of earlier point is appealing to a broad audience as opposed to like I in Seattle have been covering Russell Wilson for six years now. And like, I feel like I don't really know who he is Mm -hmm. and that's kind of crazy, right? Like it's, he doesn't let a lot of people inside. I'm covering from the point of view of first a lowly beat reporter, bottom of the totem pole beat reporter. And then as a, as a radio host who doesn't get to get out to the, um, facilities as much so I have less interaction but you think you kind of get a picture of it like I he is so careful with that stuff and um you see though like hosting the Nickelodeon Kids Choice Awards and um doing television specials like he still has this broad appeal it's just I I wonder if locally any any tiring of that played into the kind of turn on him but it also seems like he's kind of not secluded himself in the locker room because we said Michael Robinson was on Joe Fan's podcast a few weeks ago and he said no I don't really don't have any contact relationship mm-hmm. with him obviously he got the unspoken whatever it is between him and Doug Baldwin and everyone else we tried unsuccessfully to dig into that um, crater uh, a few weeks ago. But uh, it, it's, it seems like a really consistent thing where he just kind of everything, like every turn is kind of really, well, manical. But also at the same time, you work with someone in Jake Heaps on the radio four or five, five times a week who is as close to anyone in the media in that yeah. inner circle, isn't he? So, I mean, he's as close as it gets to be able to decode, if that's the right word, Russell Wilson's entire approach to the last six weeks or so. Yeah, I mean, it's been um, a really unique opportunity to get some unique insight into it. And Jake doesn't 
Jake's not going to tell me everything about his interactions <laughs> with Russell. A lot of those are private. And so mm. uh, even though Curtis, who's our producer, and I will kind of like pester him and try to trick him into telling us like he's <laughs> he's I think he's he's aced it. Like he's figured us out now uh, that we're we're very bad at being sneaky and effective. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I will say I think it has offered a slightly more well-rounded view of maybe the entire situation of kind of coming to terms with what I think Russell, uh, Russell Wilson's relationship with Carol with Schneider with the team might be. Um, and uh, what I'll say just for Jake, it's been kind of tough for him because he'll have any time that he has an opinion, people are going to assume it's Russell's opinion, which is a bummer. Cause for him, he's like, of course, I'm going to talk about offensive linemen. I'm a quarterback. Like mm-hmm. Russell Wilson isn't like, for instance, we had a uh, news break about, Oh gosh, it might've been when the Seahawks were potentially linked to Gabe Jackson, or it was when um, uh, another offensive lineman was, was released or reported to be released. I told him that. 10 seconds later, he tweets, oh, I'd love to get this guy. That would be really cool. And I think people were like thinking that like he's speaking on behalf of Russ. And it's like, guys, he just he tweeted this right after I told him that like he's not. It's so it's a bummer for him. I know you guys didn't ask me that question, but I just recently was talking uh, with a coworker about that. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't get all the secrets, unfortunately. Um I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm really trying. <laughs> I, I was pushing to get him to tell me those Super Bowl texts, like nobody's business. Is illuminating because, but the fact that we we all know that kind of Russ has allowed Jake in a bit. You know, we, we all think, oh my god, whatever this guy says, it must be coming straight mm-hmm. from the horse's mouth. And again, it kind of just proliferates the, the idea that. Right. We just don't know who Russell Wilson is. And it's it's almost a shame. It is because he lives. He's when you think about it, he has had a fascinating life. There's mm-hmm. been father. I think the day before day of he's drafted into the MLB. Um, yeah. You I've always assumed that part of his uh, like adherence to making sure he says the right thing all the time is because his father, I I think I read this somewhere, used to work on presenting yourself in press conferences with him. And I think that I, I, he tries so hard not to show weaknesses. And it's hard not to think that part of all of this, a seed to all of this is just wanting to be wanted, Mm -hmm. right? Like that no matter what you've accomplished, you've been to two Super Bowls, you've won one, you've been in the MVP conversation, that it's never enough. Because you're, there will always be Tom Brady that gets more, Aaron Rodgers that gets more. And importantly, your organization doesn't feel as dedicated to you. And and I, 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 this is me talking from my point of view. I've always felt like that was at the root of a lot of this, wanting to be wanted. Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes back to NC State because he was chased out of that college from right. Mike Glennon, which is... Wild in uh, with the gift of hindsight, but at the same time, while well, he's he seemed to be running for the exit, we've heard Chris Carson say today that Russell Wilson was there badgering him mm-hmm. all along to come back to. And he's, I mean, Pat McAfee's been doing a, a pretty funny bit over the last few weeks. Everything Russell Wilson tweets, he quote tweets, go Hawks, because obviously there's a massive thing when he said that for the first time this offseason. Yeah. But but he's, he's still clearly invested, obviously, he knows he clearly obviously knows how important that Carson was. To the entire operation going forward mm-hmm. as well. So there is, it's kind of like, I know it's, it's, it's a mixed message, but it's the 
the the backing up of Carson, the badgering of Carson is a more positive there's more positive coming from that than there was from his Dan Patrick interview, isn't there? Yeah, I think so too. And especially given that Carson obviously is a running back, it's not like Wilson's out here campaigning for five, six receivers to come in so that he can have targets to throw to. I mean, trying to get someone back that you know is going to get the rock and that takes it out of your hands. Um, I mean, it's not like it says something about him, but I think for, there's this narrative in Seattle, um, half of which is completely like valid and fair that it's either run or pass that mm-hmm. Seattle is too old school and that committing to Carson committing to the run game, committing to any of this is somehow taking the team backwards. I think Russell Wilson recognizing that Carson is a hugely important part of this offense is important publicly acknowledging that advocating for him to come back uh, and for fans to recognize, like, I think this, this offense without Chris Carson, Chris Carson, even now is still so unappreciated and underrated. He is the best running back Pete and John have ever drafted ever. And it's not close. No, it's, yeah. It doesn't say a lot for the other one they have either, does it, at the no. same time? <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Um, Adam? Yeah, no, that, that is an interesting point. But it's funny that it seemed like there was such a determination to leave. And we'll, we'll leave this, Wilson, after this, because <laughs> I think everyone's done this to death over the last two months. <laughs> But there hasn't been like that much tangible change that would suggest that you would go from a, I need to get out of this place to Mm -hmm. tweeting about Alden Smith and how delighted you are about that today. So I I think Michael, Mike Silver, uh, you know, talked about, there was like George Costanza in Seinfeld. Oh my God. It was a great, I have to say that was a great, great comparison who resigns from his job on a Friday, but just goes on a Monday and just, what are you talking about? No, no, I'm fine. I'm still at work. Um, it does have a bit of that vibe to it. But again, until that contract extension gets done, maybe it has been done, but I feel if it had been, they would have been shouting it from the rooftops. But it's hard to think that's not going to linger un- until something with that happens, because that's only going to be the real commitment from both sides to, to, to being there for yeah. long term. I would say um, yes, or a restructure for, for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, he has no choice to the teams that he, his agent, but indirectly him put out that he want to be traded to. They aren't options anymore. The Cowboys extended Prescott, the Raiders traded away all their linemen. Um, the bears tried to give you an offer and their best wasn't good enough. Um, and, uh, and the saints are seemingly going in house with Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston, and they don't have a lot of money to spend. So there's no options anymore mm. for you. And um, so I think for the team and for Russell Wilson, the, the best move is staying here. That doesn't mean, though, that the, that the narrative, I mean, you open Pandora's box. Now what's going to happen is when the season gets underway, if Russell Wilson takes a sack, what, what would be something that people wouldn't have noticed before? Now they're going to say, that's a sack Russell Wilson took. Russell Wilson took six sacks in this game. Like that's, mm. when was that ever something that like the average fan was tracking? It's just, when you see a sack, you think, oh, bummer, that drives over. Or you get mad at the offensive line or something. But <laughs> now people are going to be paying attention when he hangs onto the ball for four seconds in a way that they didn't before. And that's tough, <laughs> like tough stuff. And I'm not taking away from Wilson. He is the best quarterback this franchise has had, but this is gonna, this is a sticky issue that will linger well into the season. There's also, there's gonna be like a collective brace of every Seahawks fan when the Seahawks come on the clock 
the three times mm-hmm. as it is at the minute because they could easily take a quarterback and then the fires are stoked a little bit more, especially if they take one with 56 at the back end of the second round. But the, I think Imagine we said... Imagine if, if they do that. Oh, if, if, if they... It's oh like Kellen Mond or... Such oh, a waste of a pick. I mean, they've done it before. It would be a, hu- it would be a huge waste, but I would... I, I would hugely I respect the commitment to drama if they did yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, like this, you've really got to love being in the news. Like, that's what yeah. you do. Yeah. That's that's yeah. commitment. Yeah, to as a fan chaos. of uh, the Seahawks, horrible move. As a fan of reality TV, love it. Living for yeah. it, here for it. Yeah, like, one 100%. thing with Russell Wilson, I think like we said to Jackson a few weeks ago, his legacy is really, really interesting. Like I said to Jackson, Stacey, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago that like the comparison between him and Griffey of how Griffey's looked upon 15, 20 years. I mean, they built a baseball stadium yeah. because of Griffey. It doesn't seem to be that same attachment to Russell Wilson, even though he's bought the only Super Bowl and the only championship mm-hmm. in uh, half a century to the city. It's just, yeah, it re- that's the part of everything with Wilson, which really interests me. His whole legacy, if he, when he yeah. ever leaves the city, is going to be interesting. Yeah, I think it might. I think the one thing that both Jake and I kept saying is if Seattle like Indy like Green Bay obviously uh, Andrew Luck ended up retiring so it didn't work out but uh, it is rare that franchises fall into back-to-back franchise quarterbacks right more often than not franchises go years with a Jared Goff type uh, good enough to get you to the playoffs not good enough to get you to a Super Bowl or as Danny O'Neill says um, good enough to uh, like get him a new contract, but not good enough to save your job or something like that. Like he will just <laughs> perpetually underwhelm you. Um, but the market dictates that you spend so much money on him more often than not. That's the guy, right. Or you just stumble through horrible quarterbacks. I mean, look at the quarterback changes in the NFC West since 2012, it's Russell Wilson and then a million and five guys mm. with the other franchises. And so I think it's always possible that should Russell Wilson depart Seattle, people find a new, they, they find a new quarterback and they, they find a diamond in the rough again or, or whatever happens and, and it ends up working out. I would be willing to bet though, that what happens is you need to find a strength of your team elsewhere because that kind of quarterback is the hardest thing in sports to find pretty much. Yeah. I mean, also they got the giants who go from Eli Manning to Daniel Jones and it's just kind of, they're the same person. I'm pretty certain. I briefly trying to steer us away from Russell Wilson because I'm sure Stacey's had enough of that chat to last her a decade, let alone a podcast. Um, <laughs> Alden Smith signed today and uh, mm-hmm. which is quite interesting news. And I did some maths. I mean, people, always come to me and stew for the, the, the real X's and O's. And I did some counting and Russell Wilson and, and Alden Smith have been on the field together for 700 plays. And in that time, Alden Smith has had 700 sacks of Russell Wilson, or at least, <laughs> at least that's what it feels like because my, my last decade has seemingly felt like Alden Smith sacking Russell Wilson in whatever stadium, wherever he plays. And it's just been chaos. So on that side, I'm pretty pleased on the flip side. He was done for domestic violence a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and now becomes the third player since John Schneider's fairly infamous comment that if this ever happens, I think he pretty much offered his own job up if that happened. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm kind of torn by it because Stuart and I, with this podcast in the past, we've always kind of tried to keep a morality to it. And, you know, for me, the 
players that play for your team represent more than the jersey. They represent yeah. the city, the culture. And I just find it a tough one to take in the sense that if you're going to say something like, you don't have to say that, John Schneider, three years ago, but you did. And, it, right. you know, sports just want to win. And I, I get that because that's what they get paid for. But it, I don't really like the, the talking out of both sides of the mouth on this. I, I, I am finding it a bit of a tricky one to take, all joking aside about, you know, the player and the sacks and, and how pleased I'm sure Russell Wilson is to never have to see him on the other side of the field again. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Schneider and to a larger extent, the NFL as a a league Mm -hmm. walked themselves into this conversation. They didn't have to, they chose to. And I think doing it was the right decision overall. Ideally, Schneider saying we draw the line, zero domestic violence tolerance is a great line to draw. Um, Drawing it and then stepping over it feels like you're standing for nothing. It feels Mm -hmm. like this is this is talk to make it seem like you actually care about people when you don't. And uh, I um, I see comments all the time from people saying like, well, the league can't do this. We have to wait for the court. And it's like, the league is still figuring out how to, I don't know, monitor, discipline, um, try in uh, like a trial. <laughs> this, um, this very nuanced issue, like a very nuanced issue. And uh, I think that there does have to be some wiggle room figuring it out as long as a good faith effort is made. Like you're going to make mistakes. You're going to say the wrong thing. Um, Hopefully you learn from it. So on that being a broader scale for the NFL, I hope that's what happens with this franchise itself that like you can't take back saying we don't, go to players that have had any issue with that and then taking Frank Clark. So this isn't me saying Frank Clark's a bad person. This is me specifically, like you said, talking about John Schneider and a bit of hypocrisy there. So yeah, I find myself torn too. And, and I get a lot of comments. I think being a woman, people expect you to take up this issue a lot, which first of all, men and women uh, and everyone in between should take up this issue. Like everyone, it, like people should be, you know, texting and, you know, hey, Jake, are you bothered by this too? Right. Um, and I also try to figure out a way to talk about it that's right and fair and includes historical context and social context. And it's difficult. Like it's hard. And this is as someone who uh, I had a, a roommate in college that was involved in it. Like even if it touches your life, you're still figuring it out. So, um, yeah, I, it's such a complex issue. It matters to me a lot. I'm sure it matters to you guys a lot. And as sports fans, it's figuring out how to feel about it. It's like when everyone was, we were talking about concussions and we were like, how do we, how do we cheer on this incredibly violent sport, knowing what it's doing to people's bodies? There's like a cognitive dissonance that you're trying to figure out and it's hard. Yeah. And I mean, also they paid Jaron Reed uh what six weeks six months before he was suspended mm-hmm. for before that from his um domestic issue or whatever that was and that kind of when i mean when the reed and clark went to kansas city obviously a couple of years apart there wasn't much um disappointment on my part because of that kind of i mean mm-hmm. especially with the latter one it just didn't seem I was like, okay, cool. There won't, there's someone else's issue if that is something that comes up. On that, on being a woman in your position in the media, there's a 
unbelievably funny bit that Katie Nolan did on one of her Always Late a few years ago where it's um, a secret society of women in sport. <laughs> and they yes. talk about, they have, it's her, Sarah Spain, uh, Carrie Champion, M- Maria Taylor, mm-hmm. and Mina Kimes is in it as well. And they, they ask Katie, how are you going to ruin sports for men this week? And it's like, she, she thinks her response is, I'm going to wear a turtleneck on ESPN. It is it, like... <laughs> It's brilliant. She's brilliant as well. But is, is, is that something you kind of have to deal with? Because it's just like, like the mentions must be an absolute train wreck. Oh, it's a, a nightmare and a half. I'm not relevant enough to get a lot of them. Uh, I'm sure if I was like a morning show host, I would probably see it more. Um, I, I more often than not, quite honestly, when we first started Jake and Stacy. It was Tom, Jake and Stacy. And most people assumed I was the producer um, because they, that's where they were used to hearing a woman's voice, uh, which, first of all, I love that we had women on our station and our producers, specifically Jasmine McIntyre, who was an executive producer, controlled so much behind the scenes. So it's a role that is so much harder than people give it credit for. So there's nothing wrong with anyone thinking you're a producer <laughs> at all. But it was like people didn't realize I was a host or didn't think I was a host or um, so that was I, I think that. I did, I escaped a lot of really mean comments because people were like, you're not, you're not a host though. You're not Mm. someone that's talking. I don't have to be mad at you today. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, man, people are just going to be weird. It took me several months. The first month I didn't look at our text line and, uh, I also, on Twitter did it where like it's a ton of filters, like as many filters as I could find, like only comments from verified or not verified accounts, but um, accounts with like an email attached or whatever. And, and no one that doesn't follow you. And just to try to filter a lot of it out. But of course you go like hate read comments sometimes. <laughs> and like when I, when I've done that, like I remember going through a Reddit thread once where I was like, I, I can't believe people who don't know me hate me. Like, I can't believe I'm reading comments about people and the stuff they're saying aren't, oh my God, Stacy said that Jimmy Graham was the best Seahawks tight end ever. What a horrible opinion. It was, her voice is really annoying. She interrupts people a lot. Um, she talks about, someone said, I talk about Meghan Markle all the time. And I, I had made it to that point, like a handful of jokes. Like I make a very specific effort to limit any references I make that may not hit with a larger audience. I'll do them once in a while, but I am very particular about doing that. And that in itself feels constricting, right? Like you feel like you can't be, you can't be too much of yourself. Like I got a a DM once from uh, a friend of an old coworker who basically said, I would hope you're not playing into that stereotype because I mentioned the bachelor and it's like, but I watch The Bachelor and I also know sports and love talking about sports. Like those two things can coexist. And if you if your stereotype says that young women who sound a certain way, who watch reality TV, whatever, aren't smart, that's your issue. Like that's your stereotype about women. It's not just a universal truth. Mm. Yeah. It's funny because uh, in the UK now we're going through it where there's a couple of really amazing high profile female broadcasters. There's a lady called Laura Woods who wasn't an ex-soccer player. And then there's Alex Scott, who was an ex-professional soccer player. She actually played in America for a while, and she is now getting a lot of jobs. I, I think 
she's getting criticism pull and mm-hmm. hopefully that will start to come through but i think we, we also have a very aggressive fan base over here for sport in general sport elicits a lot more yes. anger than it does joy in the uk i think probably more so yeah. than it does in america but i feel like you guys are probably half a decade further ahead of us but have you found that it, it's sort of dissipated and become easier you know obviously you're always mm-hmm. going to get the the idiot that is is almost unaccountable for but has it become mm-hmm. easier as kind of your career's progressed in something like that yeah well i'll backtrack and say it depends on where you are like i think that uh, boston radio is much more like that where mm-hmm. like people pe- people angry listen to boston <laughs> radio so you get like i don't think i'd have a job if i was in boston i would not have been <laughs> offered a job and i'm i'm fully convinced like they would be like this isn't going to play we're not doing this um but uh yeah, I found it, it gets easier. I, I mean, both as far as me hearing it uh, and then also as far as people, I think I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. I think sports talk, sports radio, just like the shows we watch, it's part of a routine. And in a year where everything was upended and people were laid off and, and people were struggling to have a routine changed, like our lineup changed is that's jarring for a lot of people. So I tried to tell myself that a lot of what I was getting was just kind of something's different and I don't know how to interpret it rather than there's something about you that is bad. So once I learned to think that it became easier and also in general, I think people have kind of come around. Well, also in America, obviously Mina Times, Sarah Spain, Mm -hmm. they're they're at the forefront, Maria Taylor with the college football, they're getting those jobs, they're getting familiarity with people so that also must be a thing which is again as I said a few years ahead over here because it's really just happening in the last 18 months or so with the Alex Scott and Laura Woods getting prime spots that that also must be a help if if that's the right word when with with you in your career a thousand percent that's absolutely a help and those I've uh, the only person of that group I've ever reached out to is Mina Kimes who's been phenomenally helpful um uh, she has given me so much great advice, uh, not just about how to interpret a lot of that stuff, but like hosting, getting ready for shows. She's a phenomenal person. Uh, and I love that the community of women in sports, in my experience, has been super supportive of each other, no matter what level you're at, right? Like I'm nobody compared to her, but I'm like, wow, I can't believe she gave me the time of day. Um, because I think that that feeling's universal. Like, oh, mm. that, that's, that's awful. Um, the one thing that we can all be better at, and I don't mean we women, I mean, I mean, like <laughs> sports fans, uh, is sports media still does this whole like one at a time kind of thing with women, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, ah, she's no Mina Kimes. And it's like, well, what if she's a totally different person? Like mm-hmm. you can have Mina and Katie uh, and Carrie Champion. And for that matter, like, how about more women of color, right? Like, there there's a, an issue there that we don't have enough representation of women of color in the first place in sports. Um, and so I, I will say like, even on a smaller level, I think um, with Lydia Cruz, one of my best friends, amazing person, uh, people were bothered when other women would be on because they felt like they already have Lydia. And it's like, you can have multiple women on air like it is possible to do that but I, I I think I as as a not advanced but as as many strides as you're saying we're taking and it, and I do think we are we still do struggle with both representation mm-hmm. and among women 
And also with this idea that there has to be a limited number, right? You're mm. still one of five. Mm. Adam? That's really interesting. Uh, so the Seattle sports fan mindset, I find absolutely fascinating. So my number one sports team is Tottenham Hotspur, which is a soccer team that have caused me no, uh, end, of, yes. no end of pain. That, that they have caused me no end of pain. <laughs> the 28 years that I've been going every week. I hate every fiber of them. And it is the worst addiction that I could ever have been given. And I completely resent my father, who I love dearly, for giving me that. And as a result, the way I view all of the sports teams that I follow through the prism of the negativity of Spurs. So I probably was the fan in Super Bowl 49 that thought, well, this is going to get intercepted because that's what happens to me in sport. But I'm fascinated by the, the same fans in Seattle can be so high on everything the Seahawks do, like everything, mm-hmm. and so low on anything the Mariners do, even if it is completely warranted. Yes. But I find it amazing that on your show, you can flip from one segment with the same human beings, which is up here, shouldn't do yep. hand gestures on a podcast, and then the next one can be down there talking just about a different team, but it's the same people. And I don't understand how that happens. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing is the Seahawks have done a lot to gain a lot of credit, even in places where they don't deserve it. Like John mm-hmm. Schneider has had major misses in the draft. And there have been times when you'll say it on air and you'll get texts of like, what are you talking about? You think you can be GM? And it's like, absolutely not. I would run this team into the ground, but <laughs> Um, John Schneider has made mistakes and it's okay to say that. Um, and, uh, but the team has done enough where they get credit for having been so good for so long that people will give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, meanwhile, the Mariners have done everything they can to make fans lose faith in them. I'm personally excited about the new group they have. I don't think everyone's going to work out because we just don't see that. (laughs) Right. Like the thing with the prospects they have is everyone to be excited about with the Mariners is a prospect or a first year player or a second year player. So right now there's only hope. There's only optimism, nowhere to go, but up eventually some of those guys aren't going to work out. Um, but until this team does more to kind of earn trust from fans, I think it's fair for them to be down on them. Mm. Do you think people want to be excited by them? And like, mm. do you think people could ever get to that level of walk on water in the way that the Seahawks in general kind of, there's a lot of fans like on our message groups in the UK yeah. that are saying like, you don't know how lucky you are. They won a Super Bowl. You know, I was a fan in the eighties. And so everything is kind of rosy. Can, can the Mariners ever get to that level? Do you think? I think they can. I think they can. Um, it's going to take doing a lot because the thing with the Mariners is they've always hovered, not always, but for the most part, they've hovered around a middle of the road, like just with no change whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so rather than be really bad and build up, like be the Orioles a couple of years ago where you're winning, like never, uh, they've just been kind of average, kind of like mediocre <laughs> for lack of a better word. I mean, it's, I don't mean it rudely, but uh, so fans are used to feeling excited and then disappointed. Cause that's kind of what they've done. There was the 13 and two start and then you're let down. So even with excitement, fans just anticipate, of course, this is going to, this is going to go. They haven't been to the postseason since I was in like seventh grade. I mean, that's sixth grade. Maybe that's insane to me. Like I'm 31 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Makes no sense. Um, I I say that to mean, I think it's going to take a bigger step than just, oh, they won eight straight. Like, I think it's going to take getting to the postseason 
maybe getting through a wild card round for people to enter a season thinking that might happen again. Yeah. Also, but also all the youth movement they're going, it's, it, it seems yeah. from my notifications that it's still the old guard in Kyle Seager who's coming through over the last few days over the weekend as well. So that's just, just the weirdness of sports, I guess. I'm guessing from your reaction that you may be like Adam, a Spurs fan if you follow Premier League teams. Is that an accurate? Uh, I don't follow closely. Lydia and I one day decided we were going to follow. Uh, we were just going to choose one of the teams. So we did a very strict criteria about <laughs> uniforms, uniform colors, mascots, problematic players and, and owners, like maybe eliminating ones where there's going to be too much of like a moral uh, <laughs> issue. And we settled on, uh, we settled on, uh, do you say Tottenham? Yeah. We settled on Tottenham. Uh, we call ourselves hottie totties or call uh, Spurs fans hottie totties. Uh, I don't know if anyone else does that. Um, it's probably I heard uh, it in the stands. Horrible. But I'll, uh... <laughs> you can, you can take it. You I can, can start it. it. I mean, that's, sure. Yeah. Uh, but then once we became fans, we quickly realized like, you know what? I'm not going to watch a game at 2 a.m. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're very bad fans. <laughs> no, I think you've made definitely the right decision. If you can try and uh, I think they say if you give up smoking for three months, you can give it up for life. But uh, so I, I would strongly advise trying to, you know, get get out. At, Walk at away any, from it. At any opportunity that you're allowed to. I'm get. in there now. I'm in there now. I can never root for for another team like I am tied to them. I can only apologize on behalf of, of all of us. So a c- couple of weeks yeah. ago, uh, Stu and I were fortunate enough that we had Doug Baldwin on, who's like an absolute hero of ours. And it was a, a huge bucket list for us. And it got me thinking that from our standpoint, you know, from that outside looking in, the kind of Seattle vibe is very, you know, it, it's on a pedestal and we, we get to, mm-hmm. you know, we relate to these players because we invest a lot of stupid hours, like 1.30 a.m. till 5.30 a.m. Watch, watching these guys play. Whereas for you guys, and certainly in the media, it's much more natural and flowing. But with, with the transient nature of American sport and how, especially in football, the players do come mm-hmm. and go. Mm-hmm. And it often is paycheck related and who can blame them for it. Have you found that there's been certain players that you've been able to kind of get more relationships with or, you know, that it's mm. harder to, that people don't really open up because a lot of people will think that, well, I'm going to be gone in a couple of years. But then conversely, yeah. that group of winners that Seattle had seemed to have formed a really nice foundation in the city. It just so happens that the players I personally have enjoyed most interviewing uh, have been guys that have been there longer I don't know if that's because they're there and they open up more because they feel like this is where I am and I can make this my home. Uh, or if, uh, if it just is personality types, right? Like KJ Wright is wonderful. Uh, Doug Baldwin was wonderful to interview. Um, uh, Luke Wilson was hilarious and he was obviously a backup, but um, so some of those more long-term guys did open up more. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, you get a lot from rookies. Sometimes they're always really excited. Um, more often than not, they will, they'll be far more open uh, than any veteran player. And then they learn over time, like, well, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> so that changes, <laughs> that changes, but rookie interviews in the beginning are great because you can learn everything about someone. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. I haven't really thought about it just because maybe by happenstance, a lot of the most open players in Seattle have been the long-term guys, but there could be something there. Yeah. Um, I said in your intro that you have, we found out that you have a knack for investigating and deep diving and finding out things that colleagues on that beat found out. We had Stephen Cohen on 
the podcast last summer. <laughs> and he revealed that you went and fa- got in touch with his brother to find out of his scar and two-tone background. What made you do that? And how rewarding was it that it was such a great bite on a, on a oh, bit of bait? I live for being a troll. The second <laughs> I find out someone is embarrassed by something, I'll make them relive it. And it's a horrible quality to have, but um, I'm a horrible person. And so I just embrace it. But uh, Stephen um, told uh, both Tim Booth and myself, we weren't at the same place, uh, but he said he was in a ska band. And I was like, oh my God, tell me more. Where where can I find your album? Um, <laughs> is there video of it? What was your name? Most importantly, um, can I get t-shirts? Where's the merch that I can buy? And he was like, I'm not telling you any of this. And so I ended up uh, through research. I forget how I figured out his brother's name. I figured out his brother's name. Then I went on LinkedIn and finally found his brother on LinkedIn. Like I tried Facebook, I tried Twitter and it, it wouldn't work out. And then I messaged his brother and said that I was writing an article on, on Steve. Uh, and, and I was curious about the name of his ska band. Uh, and could you please tell me? And then he told me. It was great. <laughs> I, I can't actually quite believe how well this is set up for my next question, because I also have done a bit of investigative journalism, because I always like to find out a little bit about our guests and uh, do you You have okay. absolutely made the bed for this one. Uh, oh. You know, see if I can get a zinger or two. And uh, so what one of your uh, colleagues, uh, he or she will not be named, asked me to mention about a spelling bee that you might have a, a story about. I- <laughs> devastating moment in my life. Um, but also a moment where, um, I understood that, uh, authority figures, uh, can be awful. Um, so I, in fourth grade, I was a phenomenal speller. First of all, I still am. Uh, I could spell circles around kids, probably some adults, but mostly kids, especially. And, um, uh, it was me and this kid, Jeff Benson. And I don't mean to put Jeff Benson on blast. I'm sure he's a nice kid, but like Jeff ate ants at recess. Like, like I should have won this spelling bee and Jeff just was a weird kid. And, um, so the word was familiar. And unfortunately the proctor was like, I don't, I think she was maybe a Midwesterner or something. And I don't know if you guys are as familiar with the accents, but it's uh, there are certain words that just sound weird. And so she said, your word is familiar. And I was like, what? And then she repeated it. Your word is familiar. And because I am not one to question authority, uh, I started saying F R and then I lost. And um, I just would like to say that I deserve to win. And I worked very hard to win. And it remains the greatest disappointment of both my child and adult life. So he's taking like a, a chip on your shoulder, a la <laughs> yes. player, and uh, you know the always yes. compete mentality, and yes. <laughs> is, yes. is, is, is it that, drives me. Is that name going to be a name that you're going to remember for as long as you live? That the, the kid who beat you. Oh, Jeff Benson, a thousand yeah. percent. Yeah, if I ever see him, I'm going to be like, just so you know, I should have won. That sh- that's not your spelling bee to win. That's mine. Well, Jeff funny, Benson, I'll say it again. It's funny you should say that, Stacey, because actually on the Zoom call, uh, we've actually got, uh, Je- no, we haven't got Jeff lined up. <laughs> Jeff, come on in. That would have been, yeah, that would have been some seriously good Can you work. imagine if me and Jeff did a spelling bee right now? Imagine wow. it with, it was with phenomenal. Imagine if Stuart with his accent was doing the words as well. I mean, you'd be out in the first oh. round. That's, that's for certain. Oh, God. It, it took 
52 minutes this week. Wow. Usually it's 52 seconds. So you, you're getting better. You're improving. Um, <laughs> on, on, another thing on, on the socials as well. Um, used to be uh, one of Steve Cohen's uh, writers at Athletic. Why does Mike Dugar come at you so often when, with ageism, it seems like MSD comes at you with? Um, so there, so I'm 31 and, uh, I'm in a fantasy football group with, with Mike and a couple other people. And I met Mike obviously through the, through the beat, but also I was friends with Steve and friends with, uh, uh, Jacob Thorpe, who was a Wazoo writer that worked with Mike. So we had several mutual friends. We've been in a fantasy football league together for like, I think this is going to be our third or fourth season. And I'm not entirely sure how the joke started. It initially started (laughs) because we had a new writer on the beat, Ben Arthur, who's now at the Tennessean, wonderful person. Um, He was like 23 years old. And (laughs) I was like, I can't believe you can like drive and walk and talk like 23 years old. This blows my mind. Like it, it really 23 isn't that young. But when I hear someone's born in like 1996 or 1997, I'm like, yeah, how are you not in sixth grade? That's weird. Where did time go? Um, And so uh, I would just call both he and Michael Sean just 90s babies. They were the two youngest on the beat by quite a bit. And uh, but he's actually gosh, I think he's like 20 Michael Sean's like 28 or 29 yeah. it's a joke because the age difference between us is like two or three years <laughs> uh and so they like to poke fun that I'm very old and uh like can't walk without breaking a hip and uh yeah it's it's just non-stop they, they don't let up the guy who scored the goal which made my evening before we started recording for my football team was born after I started high school which is just horrendous but it's I, I, it's yeah. weird. It's horrible. I, I was going. I was watching the team he's just scored for for eight years when he was born. Oh but, my god! Yeah, How I feel is football rosters are going to eventually. Right now, <laughs> the majority of them are going to like late nineties, like ninety seven, ninety eight. It, it's not going to be long before probably like next year and the year after. It's going to be zero 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 one zero 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 one and then that's when i'm going to have an existential crisis (laughs) yeah i'm I'm 33 so i think if my professional soccer career does kick off i'm probably going to start in the mls with uh with the way my knees are probably holding up versus the the young whippersnappers it's it's a real shame so i uh, i work in food and um we always have a couple of food questions on the podcast and some likes and dislikes and uh uh, you know, we're, we're quite regular visitors to Seattle. We normally do like an annual trip for a game. And for those of our, our listeners, that if, if there was a couple of spots that they would have to hit up in Seattle food-wise, uh, where would mm. you be sending them? Okay. Well, everyone here likes Paseo, which has Cuban sandwiches. And it's not mm. like a restaurant restaurant where you're going and sitting down, but everyone always talks about that. Uh, I'm going to say it right now. I'm going to say it to your face. Dick's Burgers is overrated. Like, it's just the burgers are fine not a fan of the fries and I don't think you need to make it like an essential stop and uh that's going to make me a lot of enemies I think I'm a red I'm a red oh. mill creek or is it red creek or red mill burgers oh, uh red mill mm-hmm. that's always the one that I found the best in Seattle yes yes they're wonderful uh let's see good food spots I don't know I used to be we used to go out to restaurants all the time uh and now there's a good one, Brimmer and Heel Tap in Ballard, mm-hmm. not far from me. If you're more of like a, it's not fine dining, but if you're like a, you know, we want smaller plates and maybe like a date kind of thing, that's a good one too. 
ballad, I always remember hotcakes having the most amazing desserts I think I've ever tasted. Hotcakes is phenomenal. There's also now, I don't know if you were here since it's been there, but um, is it, I think it's salt and straw. No, maybe. It's this ice cream place that has the weirdest flavors. Not as weird as Jenny's, which has like an everything bagel flavor, but they're really creative with it. I think it's salt and straw. And that's, that's not very far from hotcakes. So if you're also back here, check that out. So we, we know that Jessamine can't stand the sight of mortadella sausage, which has always been a funny one. I think <laughs> Stu says he, he sees it every day at every work. Every day. Always makes him laugh. And tin tuna for me is the one thing that I can't even, I won't even have it in my work kitchen, tin tuna, <laughs> because if it's in there, I'm out. So it can't happen when I'm there. So is there anything that's just like, a, you know, an absolute no-go for you? Oh God, anything vinegar. I hate vinegar. I've never liked vinegar. I've never liked sour things. Um, uh, I got into, um, a fight, not a real fight, uh, with Curtis and Jake, because I said, um, spaghetti isn't that great. Like I, I don't hate it. It's not like you and, and the canned tuna. It's just something where I'm like, I would never order it at a restaurant. I would never choose to cook it for dinner. Um, as far as things I just do not want to touch like salt and vinegar chips. I don't want to smell them. I don't want to be near them. I don't want to know they exist. I just, I can't, I can't handle vinegar. Wow. I mean, that is I'm a real sorry. shot, shot to the bowels for anyone over this side uh, of the Atlantic. God, mm, I know. I just, I, I just wanted you guys to love me and I ruined it all. <laughs> we were going to have you back. I, and <laughs> I, I, uh, I completely agree with spaghetti. I don't, I don't get it. Thank you. It's just it. overrated. Yeah. 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 Is that is that pasta in general or just specifically spaghetti of the pastas? Specifically, specifically spaghetti. There are, the the thing is there's so many there's like 10 better pasta dishes. The mm-hmm. spaghetti doesn't even belong it, it it shouldn't be as like loved as it is in my opinion. We need to yeah. expand our love and acceptance of pasta. There's so many better options. Yeah, and I, in a mid, in, in a Midwestern accent, can you now spell spaghetti? <laughs> it's going to be like S P A G. I can't. No. <laughs> that accent's tough. It's tough. Uh, the, the, I mean, the, the, I think when me and Adam first met, the first uh, place you took me to, Adam, was Pecos Pit, and I go back. Every year, it's yes. in, in Soto um, down near Starbucks. It's unbelievable barbecue food. So if that's that's my literally the first. I think the first thing I did when I got there last time I went eighteen months ago was uh, to Pecos Pit down Soto. I think we should uh, introduce Stacey to our weekly segment now, Stu. Yeah, I mean, I asked Paul to prep you. I don't know if he did on our he weekly. Uh, <laughs> yes, I mean, oh, Danny God, didn't either. Uh, so we do a thing called Get in the Bin, which is a person, a personality, a storyline, a narrative, which is just you're tired of a person you're tired of him mm. from uh, over the past seven days or so. So we'll, we'll, we'll do ours and then we'll go from, we'll call on you so you kind of have a better idea of, I mean, people okay. like Skip, Skip Bayless is in there every uh, Hugh Jackson was the in the inception of it all a few years ago when he was in Cleveland. So I'm gonna, I, I, I love the draft. I love everything. Um, well, pretty much everything apart from the lack of activity to see what they're probably going to get up to at the end of April. But I am so tired of this whole year. I mean, there was someone a few days ago who tweeted out, it looks like the Giants are going to focus in on and then listed every single player 
in the top 25 in most power <laughs> rankings, apart from the quarterbacks and maybe Jamar Chase. And then there's Chris Mortensen, who's just continuing to do his weird, like, bang drumming, jum banging, bang drumming? Which way is it? Jump banging. Uh, banging for uh, Matt Jones to San Francisco. And it's just like... Oh. Uh, it's it's just tiring. I mean, the, the quarterback has been the best quarterback in this class since mm-hmm. he took the job at Clemson from Kelly Bryant, and they're just running out of things to say. I mean, it's petrifying mm-hmm. that Justin Fields is going to be a 49ers, but I'm just tired of all the, the draft stuff and that list of 25 players to draft the Giants are going to maybe select. <laughs> and maybe more was just like, okay, I'm out of this year, I think. Has, um, it, been, has it been tricky kind of finding fresh stuff to talk about draft-wise, especially given the lack of interest Seattle will have at the top end? Oh, yeah. It's tricky most of the off-season. It's every day I leave and I'm like, what am I going to talk about tomorrow? And then every <laughs> morning I feel excited about something to talk about. Like you kind of do this like cycle where you refresh and then you're like, oh, okay, no, I'm, I'm excited. But the off-season's especially tricky. I mean, there have been times when it's like uh, we talked about A-Rod uh, purchasing becoming an owner of uh, the Timberwolves, whether you would forgive him if he brought back uh, the NBA to Seattle. In this conversation, we were like, the the likelihood of this happening is like slightly over zero. Like (laughs) there's probably going to be language in this contract that he can't relocate the team, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's a random conversation. It's sports radio. We try to have fun. Anytime we do something like that, we get a lot of like slow news day and you're like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yes, actually. Uh, glad you pointed that out. What would you rather have me talk about? Um, so, so yeah, it it can be, it can be pretty tough. I, as much as I hate the take that, uh, uh, Michael McCorkle Jones should end up in San Francisco. I can see, I can see why Chris Mortensen would have to cycle through a couple guys and be like, I'm just going to make the argument for Mac Jones today. Let's see what happens. Yeah, there's also the with Matt Jones is a a weird Barack Obama costume picture doing the rounds on social media with him, which Ooh. is a bit um yes very questionable. Um, also on that uh, Alex Rodriguez Friday does his. Uh, the opposite is is Anthony Edwards, their rookie, who had the greatest yeah. answer to a question. Like he, the video of him is even better, but sport and NBA and baseball need people. Obviously, baseball needs people that are desperately so. Mm-hmm. It was, it's really refreshing going, who's that? And he's like the biggest name in celebrity circles, particularly today. Uh, Adam? So I've got two. Uh, my first one is actually ex-Seahawk wide receiver Brandon Marshall, who <laughs> just does a lot of shouting, doesn't he, when he when he's doing his, his stuff. And, you know, far from me to criticize someone for making long points, as I regularly ask far too long a question almost every time I start speaking on this podcast. But he did like a one minute setup of the difference between reporting and opining. And I feel like having banged the table like three weeks ago that Russell Wilson wants out and the reputation is, you know, he's knackered himself with Pete Carroll to then be like, I am reporting. We're just talking about sports here, by the way, this isn't stuff that matters. It's just, just sports. Right. And he's screaming down the TV <laughs> that he's reporting that he's going to be there for life. I, I just feel like you can't, you can't live your life at a, a 10 out of 10. I think when you've got a microphone in front of you, I think maybe start at a five or a six and build up to a 10. Yeah, that's exhausting. It's just the, the thought of it makes me physically tired. <laughs> yeah, hundred uh, percent. And the second one, this could go down like a, a lead balloon, but it's actually a, a Jake heaps, Stacy, who's uh, your, your because okay. we have reached out a number of times. We've been in the <gasps> DMS 
And I think he's seen the UK flag and he's dismissed us out of hand. And ah. I, I am putting Jake in the bin until he gets on this podcast and talks to us two idiots. I'm sure he's got a million and one better things to do. But I demand to extrapolate everything that he says as a direct <laughs> quote from Russell Wilson and plaster all over our social media. As you should. As yeah. we should. If, if he says like, oh, I uh, I really love spaghetti, you're going to be like, so Russell Wilson so loves Russ. spaghetti. Okay. Yeah. Does he have it so, with, uh, so yeah, is he a carbonara fan or a bolognese fan? Is that that's that's what I'll be uh, Jake eats like a five-year-old, probably because he and his wife Brooke have two kids and another on the way. That he's like a big fan of Uncrustables and <laughs> uh, like Capri Sun. <laughs> and when I said I didn't like spaghetti, he was like, "What?" And I was like, just, "Yeah, um, I'll yeah, have you, to tell you, him you said that. You I will put, absolutely you, tell him." You can pass this on on air, off air. I pass will. it on, and because this is us officially calling out number nine to uh, get himself on, on and join us. I would love for it to start as a feud too. Like I would love for it to actually be the meeting of two enemies or three enemies, I guess. Yeah. Uh, when this happens. We, we need, we need some bad blood. I think, Stu, I think we, we've we tried it with a couple yeah. of people. Yeah. Uh, Spice it up. We've tried it with Packers Twitter. It doesn't really work. No. Because <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's mainly in our WhatsApp messages where the bad that's true. We, we should, yeah, we, we should probably should publicize them. it. Yeah, we, we should tell them that we're annoyed with them, not just tell yeah, each yeah, other yeah, that yeah. we're annoyed. Yeah, by yeah, them. yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe that's how we're going wrong. I, I did PR at university as well. And I should be, I should be, should have been taught that. But twenty five grand down the drain. Uh, what's your, uh, Stacey? What's your um, <laughs> uh, uh, getting the uh, being candidate for? Okay. This week? I'm gonna do. I'm gonna also do two. I'm gonna do the very small one first, which is I was gonna do one, but. The whole thing of slow news day, I would like for that to get in the bin and never come up. Like, I am so tired of people on a day when there's literally no sports news saying slow news day. Like, you know, it is just stop. <laughs> Leave me alone. I've already spent hours trying to figure this show out. Um, <laughs> the, the actual one I was thinking of is I'm like killing myself, not remembering his name right now, especially when it's literally the, the point of what I'm saying. But uh, a producer uh, who's, uh, I think he's based out of New York maybe. And he works on, I think Mike Greenberg's with Mike Greenberg of ESPN. And he's like, he has several thousand followers. Like he's a known guy. He does, I think some, uh, a lot of stats and analytics stuff for that show. Um, so clearly like a smart guy, he had this tweet a while ago that blew up and basically I'm summarizing it. He said that Fernando Tatis being with the, the 28th, uh, market in the West coast is bad for baseball. And I was like, I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know you, but I hate you. What I would love to get in the bin is, is the idea that, uh, the talents of a good player are wasted when it's with a small market team or a team that is trying to get better. Um, it's like, you don't get to hoard all the good players and have them just go to these teams. Like the point of trying to get better, like when people say like Griffey was wasted with the Mariners, yeah, it's, it's really a bummer that one of the best players ever didn't see a lot of success that any player like him would have with like the Yankees, but also culturally he meant so, he meant so much Mm -hmm. to so many people and like almost saved baseball here. And so, um, I mean, that whole 95 squad did really. And so I, I hate that narrative. I hate it so much. I hate the idea that players are wasted anywhere. Let sports fans be sports fans and and love players wherever they are. Yeah, great bin. It's a great yeah. bin. Do you, I have got I have got one more. I have got one okay. more, uh, and it's kind of a two part thing of the same one. So Julian Edelman has retired this week, and 
my first kind of half bin with him is that the fact that your career is either hall of fame or apparently you're not yeah. good. There's kind of no right. middle, there's no middle ground whatsoever. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and secondly, like, I don't think people realize how bad us Jews have been at sports over the last 2000 years. And we, we could really do, we, we could really do with a, another Jewish entry into the hall of fame in the NFL. Like it would just do us a lot, especially in a sport of physicality where we're not known for <laughs> prowess, like just give us Julian in the hall of fame. Like it would mean so saying, much to the community for the purposes of representation. That's exactly Let's it. get, got it. Got it. I, I, I mean, I, I would have him, yeah, I don't want to start off an hour long conversation because I'm sure Stacey's got much better things to do. But for me, anyone with that playoff record has a much better shout than like Philip Rivers, who who gives a shit what he's done, like throwing it around. <laughs> like I just, just who's going to care in 10 years time. But yeah, we, we, we really need some, uh, some representation from the tribe in the hall of fame if we can get it. And so it, it, it would be hugely respect respected. It. it would be hugely respected yeah. because I mean, well, we've got the Schwartz brothers. Mitchell Schwartz could get us in there. But you want more. You're like, come on. Me... Yeah. And like, I want a skill yeah. play. I don't, I don't want some brute offensive line. I want, I want you know, the face of a, you know, the, the face of it to be in there. I mean, apparently uh, Terrell Suggs is a part of the tribe. Someone tweeted the other day, which is something I learned. I mean, I, I found today that Rodney Dangerfield's real name is Jacob Cohen. Highly, li- highly likely he might have been one of us. <laughs> but yeah, apparently someone tweeted the other day when he had him in chat, um, like talking about if he's the greatest Jewish athlete ever. Someone said that Terrell Suggs should be front of that queue, which is something I wasn't aware of. But no, uh, why would it? Was I? No. Um, is there anything else for the bin, Adam? No, is I think I've, I've more than exhausted. Probably, if we, yeah, I mean, it's, no, it's a slow news month. I might have wasted my other. <laughs> I just felt like I had to get it out there and give give the guy some yeah. support. Yeah, I mean, Julian Edelman yeah. shouldn't go in the Hall of Fame. If Edelman goes in the Hall of Fame, Doug Baldwin should go in the Hall of Fame. But anyway, put them all in there. Mm-hmm. Stick them yeah. all in. Yeah, and yeah, if he is, he's got he's got a long wait to. Uh, well, wait. Um, yeah, uh, Stacey, where can people follow you? Listen to the show on seven ten. Uh, as I said at the start, we're making our way through. We've had all the breakfast show. We've had, or well, the breakfast show, the morning show, whatever the term is for yeah. Danny and Paul. We've had Maura, we've had Jessamine, and now we've had yourself. So where can people catch all your um, radio, radio show and social media stuff? So uh, you can listen uh, to me on with your guys' enemy, uh, Jake Heaps. <laughs> um, now this is going to be Pacific time. Uh, in Seattle, but uh, we're on from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. But our podcasts are available. So wherever you download your podcasts uh, or the 710 app, so you can listen to us anytime. Uh, and then you can find me on Twitter at Stacy Rost. Cool. We massively appreciate you uh, taking the time jumping on with us and uh, yeah, just just I don't know, just chatting. And obviously, I finally have a food take I agree with because we've had some strange ones over the last. <laughs> Yeah, about four or five years. Paul Gallant doesn't like chocolate or cheese. He, or cheese. It's weird. It, he's there's something wrong with him. Yeah, yeah look, I, I don't a, understand. We if, it's her, if it's Hershey's, I can understand because Hershey's is <laughs> disgusting. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like all chocolate, that just seems like a terrible take. Yeah, it's yeah, not, it's, it it's is. It is. I mean, it doesn't seem like it. It truly is. <laughs> and I still don't know what Adama means. Uh, Thanksgiving pudding was either, and I've googled it. Yeah, pretzel cheese, pretzel pudding. Pretzels, pretzel strawberry pudding or something. It was like six months ago. Oh, I don't know about that one. Never heard of it. Um, but yeah, it's this, not, yeah. It's on the menus. Yeah, uh, enjoy going to a football game next week, Mr. Nathan. I'll be my I shall before then. not enjoy that one bit. 
<laughs> Before I wrap, I probably should do all the Patreons. A massive thanks to everyone who does that. The Patreon.com forward slash the pedestrian podcast. We appreciate it. Nick Wright, Will Travers, Dan Cohen, Harry Craig, Dave Sayers, Maura Dooley, Max Lang, Brogan Cusper. And if I missed anyone off that list, I apologize wholeheartedly. But this, again, has been the pedestrian podcast. Go Hawks.